We're going to be reading from John chapter 18 from verse 1 to 11. When he had finished praying, Jesus left, left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met him there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, uh, guiding a detachment of soldiers from, and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to, happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. They replied, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas and the traitor, Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? And it, again they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he. Jesus answered, If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that, it, so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. I shall not drink the cup of the Father has shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? All right, our next reading is from the same chapter, John chapter 18, verses 28 to 40. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would not fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and asked, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Um, so we'll just pray to begin. Dear God, we pray that um, as we all dive into your word today, as we try to understand it, that we can all grow together in you and come to a better understanding of um, your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. So, has everyone here watched a soap opera at some point in their life? Whether it's, you know, Home and Away or the writings of Charles Dickens, our media, <laughs> our media is saturated with them. Tales of drama, 
betrayal, and passion. Long series of shocking events and revelations that lead to even more shocking events and revelations. The passage we are studying this week is one of my personal favorites in the Bible. It is a story of betrayal, heroism, and violence. Although, as much as it might seem like a bit of a soap opera scene, between the betrayal of Judas and the zeal of Peter, there is one thing that stops it from being a soap opera, the constant presence of God's plan, which meant that Jesus always knew what was going to happen next. Jesus basically did the real-life equivalent of reading the plot synopsis on Wikipedia before watching the movie. Today's reading comes from near the end of John's Gospel. These are the final moments before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus has just prayed and addressed his disciples for the last time. As the climax of the Gospel approaches, everything is falling into place. Just as the arcs of all the characters fall together in a good movie or book, the conflict between Jesus and the Jewish, officials, Jewish religious officials comes to a head. Judas the betrayer finally betrays Jesus, and all this leads to Jesus' arrest. God's plan is always there, even in the difficult times. He works through everything, even through tragedies. In verses 1 to 3, uh, and open up your Bibles, Bibles and read along if you'd like. So in verses 1 to 3, now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. At this point, it's okay to admit that things really aren't looking great. Jesus and his disciples have just been sold out by one of their own. This scenario would seem like the ultimate breakdown of God's plan from, from the outside. However, there is a pretty solid hint that there is more to it than that in verse 9. So if you go over to verse 9, we read, This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. And it's okay to be confused here. John is saying that God's word, that Jesus would not lose any disciples has been fulfilled immediately after Judas betrays them? To figure out what John is talk about, talking about, you have to jump back to the last chapter. In chapter 17, verse 12, and it should be pretty nearby, so just back a page or two. In chapter 17, verse 12, um, we can find one of the two times that Jesus actually makes this prophecy that John's referencing. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. So finally, we see it come full circle. Judas's betrayal wasn't some soap opera shock. It was in the script the whole time. This is the perfect example of how God works through the sin of man. If this, this doesn't prove that God's plan is always present, I don't know what will. It's not hard to think of times when we can find ourselves despairing because things are looking bleak. There are times when it's easy to be fearful for the future, but Jesus reminds us that we don't have to be fearful. God's plan is in every minute detail and every great tragedy. Even when the unthinkable happens, God is working through it towards his incomprehensibly 
vast plan. God's plan is always there, even in the difficult times. He works through everything, even through tragedies. Now, Jesus has confidence in God's plan, and it gives him a great sense of calm and control. In verses 4 through to 8, we can read, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. Jesus has an immense sense of calm and control throughout this whole ordeal. When we read the passage, did you notice the contrast between Jesus' actions and the actions of those around him? A detachment of soldiers armed with torches and weapons approaches on one side, and even from, from behind him, uh, one of his disciples, Peter, strikes off poor Malchus's ear with a sword. There's big acts of violence and danger all around him, but not from Jesus. Through all this, he stays level-headed. He is peaceful and calm, thanks to his confidence in God's plan. John hints at this in verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out, and so forth. With this in mind, we get one of my personal favorite moments in the entire Bible. All these soldiers and religious, religious officials think it's their moment. They've finally got Jesus exactly where they want him. And it's in this moment that Jesus brings them to their knees, quite literally. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus shows just how completely in control of the situation he is. This is almost the physical manifestation of this message about God's plan. Just as God is always in control, even through the tough times, Jesus is completely in control of this situation that seems to be spelling out his own end. By the way, did you notice where Judas was standing? He's right there with the Pharisees. It's quite telling of John as an author and reveals how close John was to Jesus and how deeply affected he is by this betrayal. Jesus' behavior, Jesus' behavior in these verses does seem unusual upon the first read. When I read it the first time, I was sort of confused why he was asking the same question twice of the Pharisees. Who is it you want? He asks twice, and both times they reply, Jesus of Nazareth. However, upon further inspection, it seems pretty clear what Jesus is doing. He is reminding the Pharisees that they came for him and not his disciples. Jesus confirms this when he says, If you are looking for me, then let these men go. Remember, these are Jesus' final moments before being crucified. In these final moments, he doesn't act for himself. He protects his disciples. It is thanks to his immense trust in God's plan that he can act in such a self-sacrificial manner. So the lesson here is pretty straightforward. God's plan is always present. So we have to trust in God's plan and we can find peace. Jesus sets the bar here. He is faced by the worst possible scenario. 
betrayed by a friend, surrounded by the enemy, death around the corner, and he remains calm by trusting God's plan. The task might not always be as great for us. It's, it's not every day we get betrayed by our friends and sentenced to death. But we can always remember that in the trying times, that's, that what's happening to us is a part of God's plan. So Jesus has confidence in God's plan, and it gives him calm and control. And it can give us calm and control too. God's kingdom is not of earth. And we need to remember that when we're doing his work. So in verses 10 to 11, we read, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded, Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Simon Peter is trying to fight with his own strength. He is using force to fight for a kingdom of this world. However, Jesus didn't come as the king of this world. He didn't come to free the Jews from the Romans. Jesus explains this later in the chapter. In verse 36, it should be just a little bit ahead of where we are now, he says, when being interrogated by Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now, my kingdom is of another place. Peter is clearly showing that he has the zeal for the job. And credit to him for that. Take some pretty serious guts to try and put up a fight when you're surrounded by soldiers and you're the only one with a sword. Um, Peter's problem, however, was that he was not comprehending why Jesus was there. Jesus didn't come to wage war. He came as a sacrifice. Peter seems to think that this is his time to jump into action, to get the jump on these guys and totally show them who's boss. It's quite telling of what we can be like of Christians when you think about it. It's very easy to go out and think by the incredible knowledge of the gospel that we have, that we can testify and we can bring people to the Lord. But this, of course, is not the case. The only way to God is through Jesus. When we evangelize, it is God using us to do his work. We don't use God to make people like us. Several years ago now, I was talking to one of the more openly Christian guys who went to my school. I remember he explained to me what a great Christian he was, about how he had convinced all these people to come to his youth group. So he was basically the equivalent of their spiritual father. I'm not entirely sure what that means, to be honest, but I couldn't help but feel it exemplified what I'm talking about. He believed that it was his works that were bringing them to God. None of the credit went to Jesus. So for us, we have to remember, it isn't our works that save people. Not to say that we shouldn't evangelize, but we should always remember that it is Jesus working in those people's hearts and minds. God's kingdom is not of this earth. We have to remember that when we are doing his work. Okay, so I'll admit that even though Jesus basically cheated by knowing God's plan, this is still a pretty awesome moment in the Bible. It blows my mind that even while Jesus was, you know, being busy being arrested and all that, he was still teaching. And what a great message it was too. It can be difficult to keep in mind that God is working through everything. But when we do remember that, it's 
so comforting, so reassuring to know that all things are working towards God's great purpose. That when we go out and tell God's work, God's word, we are doing his work and he is using us to achieve his purpose. So as we go out into the week, let's all try to remember this simple fact. God is working in and around us, so we don't need to fear.